Welcome to the St. Matt's 6pm podcast, where you can listen to sermons from our evening service. Good evening, everyone. Uh, good to see you. If I haven't met you before, my name is Chris. Uh, just want to let you know we moved into this house right here a couple of days ago. Uh, thank you so much to everyone who put in work into that house. It is such a privilege for us to get to move in there. If you hear children screaming, it's probably fine, but it's definitely not your problem, so it's okay. Uh, we're, we've been on a pretty intense journey through the book of Genesis, looking at the messed up family of God. We started with Abram receiving these incredible special promises from God that he would have a land of his own, descendants beyond counting and blessing that would extend to the whole world. And then we watched immediately after this that Abram squandered God's promises as he sold his wife to protect himself. Across four generations... We've seen the horror of what people might do to each other, even people in their own family. Across four generations, we've been watching this family just demonstrate how horrible people can be to each other. But we've also seen God's love. We've seen God's faithfulness. We've seen God's kindness again and again, despite the sin of this family. We've been reminded that God keeps his promises. We've been reminded that our mess cannot overcome God's grace. And today, finally, we get to see a happy ending of sorts for this family. After all that they've been through, we see some sort of reconciliation, some sort of healing happen. It's probably the easiest story for us to look at in the whole series, even though we're going to cover four chapters tonight. It's probably the easiest story. But that said, I think it also probably has the hardest teaching in it if we're paying attention. So let me pray for us as we dip into Genesis one last time. Lord God, would you please give us humble hearts and a willingness to listen to what you have to say to us, even if it's hard for us to hear. Help us to trust you so that we can experience the healing and the transformation that can only come through Jesus Christ. Amen. Let me pick up where we left off last week. Joseph was sold into slavery by his older half-brothers. But God had a plan. God won't abandon his family. And now in all of Egypt, Joseph is somehow second only to Pharaoh himself. He's rich, he's powerful, and because God has given him special insight and wisdom, Joseph's plans are now protecting Egypt during this terrible famine that's gone for two years so far and will go for another five yet. But the famine isn't just hitting Egypt. Joseph's family back in Canaan have run out of food too. Joseph's father, also uh, Jacob, also called Israel. There's a lot of names in this. I know it's going to get confusing. But Joseph's father, Jacob Israel, sends his ten older sons to go to Egypt again to buy grain. He keeps the youngest, Benjamin, at home. Since Joseph's half-brothers have faked Joseph's death, His full younger brother, Benjamin, has become his dad's new favorite, and Jacob is super protective of Benjamin. As soon as Jacob suggests his sons go to Egypt, we know an encounter with Joseph is coming. 
I don't want you to miss the crisis in the story at this point. God has promised Abraham descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. But Joseph has been so deeply wronged. He deserves vengeance. How could he not want it? He already has the power and the motive to destroy this family. And now he's about to have the opportunity to. At this point, even in Egypt, food is starting to be in short supply. And so Joseph himself is overseeing how much grain is being sold to foreigners. Which means he's right there on that very day when his brothers arrive. It's been 22 years since he last saw them, but he recognizes the 10 of them right away. Can you imagine his shock? I mean... How unexpected. And how does he respond after shock? What does he feel after that? Does he feel fear, panic, grief? Does he feel himself reverting back to that vulnerable 17-year-old? It's been 22 years. He's made a whole new life for himself. But some wounds never fully heal, right? As much as we might want them to, as much as we try to convince ourselves we're fine now, some wounds never seem to fully heal. Whatever emotions are running through his head, pretty soon anger is the one that wins out. He recognizes them, but when they look at him, all they see is some Egyptian lord. And they bow down to him, just like he dreamed they would so many years ago. He doesn't have a plan at this point. I mean, how could he? They just suddenly appeared. But he immediately chooses not to reveal himself to them. Instead, he accuses them of being spies. Out of all the foreigners in line to buy grain, he singles out these ten and says, you're spies. He declares that they're going to be arrested for as long as it takes for one of them to go home and bring back their younger brother, Benjamin, to corroborate their story. Again, not much of a plan. There's a few issues with this plan at this point. He really just wants to see his little brother, Benjamin. And he clearly doesn't trust these older ten but he's been caught completely off guard, and so his plan is evolving all the time. So they've been in prison for three days, but after three days, he releases them and says, actually now, only one of you has to stay in prison. The other nine can now go back, and then you have to bring back the younger brother, Benjamin. The brothers are just overwhelmed at this point. They were not emotionally prepared to be imprisoned for going to buy grain for their hungry families. And they speak to one another in Hebrew, assuming this Egyptian lord can't understand what they're saying. They say that they must be getting punished by God because of how they treated their younger brother Joseph all those years ago. Again, it's been 22 years, and I'm sure they've made so many more mistakes in that 22 years. But that is the moment all their minds go back to. That is the moment that most weighs in their consciences. Reuben with the biggest I told you so older brother moment, reminds them that he was against hurting Joseph in the first place. And all this is just a bit too much for Joseph. And he he starts to break, he starts to cry, he has to turn away, and he has to compose himself before he can come back. But he, He composes himself, he recommits to the plan. He arrests Simeon, the second oldest. I think Reuben just got himself off the hook. And he sends the rest on their way. But he sends them with a surprise. He secretly put their silver back in their bags so that they're getting their grain for free. It feels like he's giving these brothers the chance to show what greedy liars they really are. 
the brothers get back to Canaan and tell their father everything that has happened. They need to take Benjamin back ASAP in order to free Simeon from prison. But Jacob, he won't do it. He can't bear the thought of risking his favorite, Benjamin. And he writes Simeon off as as good as dead. But they're in famine. They're eating. And so over time they run out of grain again. They have to go back to Egypt. Still, Jacob doesn't want to send Benjamin. But they're not going to get grain without him. And Judah, the fourth oldest, Judah promises to protect Benjamin. When they get back to Egypt, Joseph's steward, his head servant, receives them and brings them into Joseph's house for a meal. Why are they being taken into this Egyptian lord's house? He must think they stole that silver last time on their last trip. But it turns out the Egyptian lord just really wants to meet Benjamin. Joseph is overcome with emotion again. This time he has to find a private room to go and cry and to really just let it all out. As much as it might seem like he's angrily planning to get back at them, underneath all that anger is just sadness at the life that he lost. But again, he he recommits to the plan. The brothers are sent home with their grain again, but Joseph frames them, and specifically he frames Benjamin. The steward goes out to catch up with them, saying that one of them has stolen Joseph's silver cup. And the brothers object. They said they'd never do such a thing. The steward declares that only the thief needs to be taken into slavery. The rest can go free. And they find the cup in Benjamin's bag. And the older nine, well, the older ten, they're they're off the hook. They can go home now. It's only Benjamin that has to go into slavery. They can abandon him just like they abandoned another little brother all those years ago. Maybe this is Joseph's goal anyway. He wants to free Benjamin from these horrible men that would sell a brother into slavery. But the brothers don't abandon Benjamin. They they rip their clothes in grief, but they turn around with Benjamin and they go back to the city. Joseph confronts them. He plans to take Benjamin away from them. But Judah steps in between. He stands in between Joseph and Benjamin. And he asks Joseph a favor. Judah, the one who all those years ago came up with the plan to sell him into slavery. Judah asks Joseph a favor. He says this. Please let me remain here as your slave in place of the boy. And let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come on my father. And that's where our reading for today begins. Joseph's anger is overcome by Judah's sacrifice. He sends out all the servants and he just has to sob in front of his brothers. He's not hiding anything anymore. I'm Joseph. Is my father living? And the brothers, they're even more afraid than before. Now they're terrified. But Joseph beckons them in close. I am your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. 
And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. He tells them that they can all move to Egypt now and he's going to take care of them. And then my favorite part. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him weeping. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterwards, his brothers talked with him. I love this story. After all these people have gone through, after all this messed up family have gone through, this is an unexpectedly beautiful place to finish, right? I mean, when you look at the story of Abraham and all his descendants from, from then until now, didn't it seem more likely that they were just going to end up killing each other in the end? Surely vengeance made more sense. But Joseph chooses forgiveness instead. Acting in hatred would have made him smaller. It would have made him like his brothers when they were at their worst. But forgiveness makes him bigger and it gives him so much more. Forgiveness makes a way for reconciliation. Forgiveness stops this family's spiral into more and more brokenness and creates a fresh start. Grace overcomes the mess. I love this story. It's beautiful. It declares that if there is hope for this messed up family, there's hope for us too. There's hope for us too. But not an easy hope. Not a cross your fingers and maybe it will all work out kind of hope. It's a hope that requires something of us. If we want the hope that Joseph and his family have, we need the heart that Joseph has. We need to forgive too. Confronted by brokenness, our best hope is forgiveness. Confronted by brokenness, our best hope is forgiveness. When we're wronged, let down, betrayed, or in any other way hurt, our best hope is forgiveness. Forgiveness doesn't guarantee reconciliation. Forgiveness doesn't guarantee the other person will even repent. Forgiveness doesn't guarantee the pain in our hearts will all go away. Forgiveness doesn't just get rid of the mess. But if we want those things, if we want to open up the possibility of reconciliation, if we want to start letting go of the pain inside us, if we want to move forward into a future that is more hopeful, forgiveness is our best hope. Now, I understand that in a series when we've been trying to make regular connections to family life, talking about forgiveness is not a small thing. And I know some of your stories, and so I felt trepidation at preaching this sermon. In the context of family, forgiveness for some of you has a lot more weight than just forgiving the person who cuts you off in traffic. We might be talking about deep wounds. Wounds that still bleed 22 years later. 
Desmond Tutu, the former Archbishop of South Africa, once shared his story of growing up with an abusive father. And he reflected, when I recall this story, I realize how difficult the process of forgiving truly is. Intellectually, I know my father caused pain because he himself was in pain. Spiritually, I know my faith tells me my father deserves to be forgiven as God forgives us all. But it is still difficult. The traumas we have witnessed or experienced live on in our memories. Even years later, they can cause us fresh pain each time we recall them. Forgiveness isn't easy. But it's our best hope. But what, what do we mean when we talk about forgiveness? Forgiveness doesn't mean that we have to minimize or dismiss how we've been wronged. Forgiveness doesn't mean we just forget about it. It doesn't mean that we have to reconcile. It doesn't mean that things have to go back to the way they were before. A simple definition for forgiveness that I really like is this. Forgiveness is the decision to release someone else from the obligation to make right what they have done wrong. Forgiveness is the decision to release someone else from the obligation to make right what they have done wrong. Look at Joseph's example. Joseph isn't going to get payback. He won't make his brothers repay the debt they owe him. He eventually comes to decide that he's not going to hold their sin over them practically and he's not going to hold it over them emotionally either. He doesn't continue to act coldly towards them so they always feel this bit of guilt. That's an example of forgiveness. And that's hard. It took Joseph 22 years And even after 22 years, Joseph needed more than the passing of time. Even after 22 years, when Joseph encountered his brothers, he still wanted to mess with them. He still wanted to pay them back. In the end, what changed his heart wasn't the passing of time. It was an act of sacrificial love. What changed Joseph's heart and enabled him to forgive was Judah choosing to sacrifice himself on behalf of Benjamin. I mean, it must have been pretty powerful to see Judah's growth. It must have filled Joseph with hope that he was willing to do that. But we have an even better example of sacrificial love, don't we? Because of all Jacob's sons, the fourth-born Judah had a son who had a son, who had a son, until one day another son was born. And this son was called the Lion of Judah. And just like his forebear, he also spread his arms wide and stood on behalf of someone else. He spread his arms wide on a cross and he died for you. He died for me. He died for you because you are a messed up sinner in desperate need of a savior. He died for you because you can't forgive others in your own strength. 
You need his strength in you. He died for you to give you a fresh start and a fresh start where his spirit lives in you and enables you to do the things that used to be impossible. If we want to forgive others, we have to know and experience and appreciate the forgiveness we have through Jesus' death on our behalf. Confronted by our own brokenness, our only hope is Jesus' forgiveness. And confronted by the brokenness of others, our best hope is still forgiveness. Confronted by brokenness, our best hope is forgiveness. In our families, in our families at home, in our extended families, in our church family, we will not escape the mess. But the mess doesn't need to define our story. It doesn't have to have the final say in our story. It is entirely possible to be a family that flourishes amidst the mess. But families that flourish are families that forgive. Families that flourish know and experience God's forgiveness and let that forgiveness empower them to forgive one another. Because God's grace is stronger than our mess. And to him be all glory, honor, wisdom and power, now and forever. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. St. Matt's West Penn Hills 6pm congregation is a collection of people who want to be changed by Jesus to have a deeper connection with God, deeper community with one another and deeper concern for our world. We'd love you to join us on a Sunday soon. For all the details, check out our website at stmatts.org.au and be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a sermon.